We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. This morning we're going to talk about, we're still continuing our journey through uh, the whole Bible, through the whole story. Um, And this morning, Chris is actually preaching in New Jersey um, at a kind of a kind of a sister church. Uh, Kevin Platt, who part, or pastors the uh, Missio Mesa campus, uh, he started uh, a church, or his dad started a church out in New Jersey, and he was pastoring that for a while. And then Kevin actually um, trained one of his best friends to take over that campus. So while we were in South Carolina uh, at the Soma retreat. Uh, that pastor is like, hey, Chris, why don't you come preach for, uh, for us one Sunday? And so that's where he is this morning, getting to share the good news of the gospel. Uh, we are sharing the good news together this morning in opposite ends of the country, which is kind of cool. He texted me this morning. He's preaching through Psalm 104, um, and he said, man, I know you're preaching on the Last Supper this morning, and as I've reflected on Psalm 104, I can see how they're connected. As Psalm 104 talks about Jesus being uh, the the bread of life, the sustenance of life that sustains us, and the wine that brings our hearts gladness. And so as we talk through the the Last Supper, the Passover this morning, uh, it's cool to see different parts of the country, different texts, God's story, cohesive story, uh, coming together to proclaim good truth. Um. Before we get started uh, in the Last Supper, uh, five years ago, um, my parents, uh, we all went down to Cabo San Lucas. It was, it was kind of, uh, Cabo for our family, it was kind of like a gathering point, right? As, as me and my brothers and our families, we kind of spread out a little bit. Well, I'm the only one that kind of left California. But um, as I spread out and, and our families were all doing different things, uh, Cabo was a place where we had kind of gone... Uh, uh, as a family when we were all together, and it was every year a place where we kind of all reconnected. And five years ago, my parents had uh, the opportunity to renew their vows. It was their 40th wedding anniversary. And so we all went down to Cabo. Uh, Here's a few pictures uh, from that time. And we had the pleasure of witnessing uh, my parents just reaffirm the commitment they made to one another to renew that commitment and say, hey, this 40 years, not everything has been great. Not everything has turned out like we had thought or had hoped. Uh, Getting married 40 years ago, we had all of these dreams, and some of those dreams came true, and some of them didn't. But I'm still committed to love you. I'm still committed for another 40 years. God willing. So this is a picture of all of us Gathering together, there were other uh, friends and, and people down there as well, but it was just an amazing opportunity because as kids, right, you don't get to be at the original wedding. Well, you might, I, I guess you might be able to, um, but most of the time, right, as kids, you're, you're not present at the original wedding. Um, but when parents renew their vows, it's an, an amazing experience, especially in our culture, um, when a lot of marriages don't make it 40 years. So it was a cool opportunity to um, see my parents just reaffirm and renew the vow they made to one another. 
And so as we dive into the Last Supper, uh, I told my parents, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use your, your wedding vow renewal, your reaffirmation uh, in my sermon this week. And they're like, oh, okay. And I'm like, they're like, what are you preaching on? I'm like, the Last Supper. And they're like, yep, you got to come to church to see how I'm going to connect those. Because right off the bat, you're like, I don't know where you're going with this, right? But let's dive into Matthew 26, and, and hopefully you'll be able to connect, as I did, uh, what a wedding renewal or a wedding, a wedding, a vow renewal has to do with the Last Supper. So in Matthew 26, verses, we're going to start in 17. On the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Go into the city to a certain man, he said, and tell him, The teacher says, My time is near. I am celebrating the Passover at your place with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, he was reclining at the table with the twelve. While they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, One of you will betray me. Deeply distressed, each one began to say to him, Surely not I, Lord. He replied, The one who dipped his hand with me in the bowl, he will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for him if he had not been born. Judas, his betrayer, replied, Surely not I, Rabbi. You have said it. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and he blessed it and broke it. He gave it to the disciples and said, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the, for the forgiveness, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you renew. You are renewing. You are restoring things that are broken, things that have been stained with sin. Father, you are restoring and redeeming and making new. Father, allow us to hear your truth, your word this morning. Amen. As I was preparing uh, to preach this morning, I started diving into the Last Supper, and I realized really quickly there is a lot. Right? Usually when Chris leaves and he's like, hey, you want to preach on this text, it's like some abstract one where you're like, I don't know what to pull out of this, or it's some really deep theological one, you're like, awesome, dude, I'm going to solve Calvinism and Arminianism this morning, like, thanks. Um, and so when he's like, hey, do you want to preach on the Last Supper, I'm like, yeah, that's, that's easy, right? Yeah, I'll take that one. And I started diving in, I'm like, this is not easy. This is not some clear-cut... Uh, easy to preach story. Even the Lord's last supper with his disciples comes with some controversy. There's so many different perspectives. How should we take it? When should we take it? Um, How often should we take it? 
who should take it, who should not take it, right? All of these different things that over the years the church has tried to figure out and has argued about in a lot of ways. So, for the sake of not being too distracted, I wrote everything down. So I'm going to do a lot of reading this morning, but hopefully it allows me to stay on track and allows us to follow the cohesive story that God has for us. But in Matthew 26, we read about an event, a festival that the Jews would have celebrated every year at the same time. A festival and meal that God instituted in Exodus when Moses led Israel out of slavery from Egypt. This Passover meal, we regularly refer to as as the Last Supper, which is what Jesus and the disciples were celebrating in this text this morning. We refer to it as the Last Supper because it's the last recorded meal that Jesus has with his disciples. Right after this meal, the Bible tells us that Jesus was arrested in the garden and that sets in motion the events of his crucifixion and resurrection. But before we jump into this text and the Passover, I want to give us some context, some story of what the Passover was and what it meant to the disciples and Jesus during this time. The Passover festival, or the festival of the Paschal Lamb, was actually a week-long celebration where the sacrificial rite of the Paschal Lamb and its, consum- and its consumption was the main feature of the Passover ceremony. This festival, this ceremony, often was, it, it included four, um, four kind of different um, like meals, or, uh, and each, each course, four different courses, I guess you could say. And each course was followed by the drinking of a cup of wine. I don't know about you, but I'm like, why, why do we not celebrate it like that? Four cups of wine? I'm in. Um, but during the time when there was a tabernacle or a temple in Jerusalem, all circumcised Jews and their families would journey to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Each household would choose an unblemished lamb and take it to the tabernacle or temple, slit its throat, and a Levite priest would catch the blood of the lamb in a bowl and throw it at the base of the altar. Then they would take the lamb back to their homes and cook it according to the law. But just to give you a sense of the importance of this festival for the Jews and what an enormous festival this was, the historian Josephus records that in the year 65 A.D., Roughly 256,500 lambs were slaughtered. Given that a Paschal lamb was was set for a family, which often would include extended family, often include extended family, or even neighbors who couldn't afford a lamb or didn't have a lamb, or uh, people in town, uh, this... The estimated uh, amount of people was around 3 million Jews that were in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover festival. That's a lot of lambs, a lot of people, and a lot of blood flowing from the altar. This was a meal and a ceremony that was specifically for the people of Israel. 
Foreigners and the uncircumcised were not allowed to participate in the feast because the occasion was one of remembering. It was one of remembering how God brought Israel out of slavery in Egypt and one of reaffirming. It was reaffirming God's covenant with his people, with the Israelites. Thus, the Passover meal was meant to help Israel both remember and reaffirm. The broader Passover festival and specific meal was meant to help Israel remember what God had done in freeing them from slavery because of his covenant with them. In Exodus 12, it says this, 12, 14, This day, this is Jesus, or God speaking to Moses, this day is to be a memorial for you. You must celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. You are to celebrate it throughout your generations forever as a permanent statue. But this remembering was more than just like a cognitive uh, remembering what happened in the past. It's more than just like your, your picture or a memory popping up on Facebook like, oh yeah, I remember that. I remember that time. I remember that trip. Oh, I remember when my kids were that small. It was more than that. The Passover, the Passover or the, and the festival meal was meant to be a representation of the events that occurred. They experienced the events of the first Passover every year. They reenacted it, represented what God had instituted in Exodus with Moses. They did this every single year. They participated in the original Passover. Just like when my parents renewed their vows, there was a representation of that first day. My mom wore a white dress, walked down the aisle. My dad and the pastor were waiting. The pastor spoke of the covenant of marriage, and my parents recited vow, new vows to one another. They both remembered and reaffirmed the covenant they made to one another 40 years earlier. Their renewal didn't just recall the memory of that first event. They just didn't show pictures of their original wedding. They represented their original vows. They reenacted it. They represented that first day, now in the context of living in that covenant for over 40 years. The Passover lamb was also a symbol to reaffirm or renew the covenant between Israel and God. The covenant that God had made with Abraham sets apart a people who become the nation of Israel for himself. Then the covenant that God makes with Moses gives Israel, that set apart people, the commandments and laws that they were to live by in order to form them into a new humanity in order to form them into a humanity that God had called them to be. So every year when Israel, when Israel, when Israel celebrated the Passover festival, they would reaffirm their identity. They would reaffirm their identity as the people of God that God had chose to form in his likeness. To be a new type of humanity that both embodied and displayed the glory of God to the nation. 
So this brings us back to Matthew 26. I know I spent a few minutes doing that, but I wanted to give us some context and some story behind the Passover. Because I think it's important for us to know what that meant to Israel. What this festival meant. What they were living out. What they were reenacting and representing every year. So as we go to the table this morning, how does it form us? Let's get back to the Last Supper. In the same recorded event, um, in the book of Luke, in Luke 22, verse 19, uh, Jesus takes the bread and he blesses it and he breaks it and says, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus is calling his disciples to remember. Just as God told Abraham and Moses to remember. Jesus is calling his disciples to remember this moment. No longer will the Passover or communion be done as a representation of the freedom from slavery to Egypt. But now, through Jesus, now communion and the Passover should be a representation of the sacrifice Jesus will make to free humanity from slavery to sin. It's no longer a representation that Israel lives out, God, this is what you did in freeing us from Egypt, from our oppressors, from the people who kept us down. Now, because of what Jesus has done in his life and death and resurrection, now when we take communion, it's a representation of the sacrifice that Jesus made. Not to free us from slavery from a nation, but to free us from slavery from sin. This representation should deeply form us to be a representation of the new humanity. Let me say that again. This representation, when we take communion, this representation should deeply form us to be a representation of the new humanity. Now in Matthew 26, 27 through 28, he says this. He goes on to, Jesus goes on to say, Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Again, Jesus gives us new meaning and context to the Passover wine. Here Jesus does two things. First, he establishes a new covenant with his blood. I could go into the, the sealing and, and the, the redemption of blood and what that meant as the sacrifice and how they would sprinkle it over everybody. Everybody was covered in blood and that would seal the covenant with God and his people. But I don't have time. But a quick side note here that I want to give is that the word used for new here is kainos, okay, and not neos, which if you were in the, the Revelation cohort with us, there's a difference, and it's important. Uh, neos in the Greek, which is what is here, um, neos in the Greek meant brand new, or new in time. Kainos, which is in Matthew 26, this is, this is what's used here. It means new in quality. 
So it's not a brand new thing that's never existed. It's a, it's a making something new, making something better. So Jesus does not reaffirm or replace the old covenant. He fulfills all of it and establishes a new and better one. So it's not creating something new. It's fulfilling the old and making it better. You see, the law and the commandments and the Sabbath and all of the different types of sacrifices and offering, the promises, the priesthood, everything that God established and commanded in the Old Covenant through one man, Moses, were all meant to form a people. They were meant to form Israel to be a new people who live in shalom. Which means to live in right standing with God, with one another, and with the non-human creation. To be a people of peace. People of rest. Of joy. Of gratitude. Of praise. Of Sabbath. Of reverence. Worship. A loyalty. A loyal people to the one true God and his purposes for creation. The law was given to show people how to live to be a representation of this new humanity to the nations. Of what it meant to be fully human. But the old covenant, the old tabernacle, the priesthood and sacrifices could not fully deal with sin. It couldn't fully restore God's people to be Holy human, how God created. We needed a better tabernacle, a better priest, a better sacrifice, and a new covenant. So just as the old covenant was given through one man, Moses, to show people how to live, now a new covenant is established through one man, Jesus. Jesus both fulfills the old covenant by perfectly living out and embodying what it means to be fully human living in God's kingdom, while also fulfilling the promise of the new covenant that will fully deal with sin. Fully usher in God's kingdom and restore humanity to himself. Christ brings humanity to the goal intended by God, to be able to live in shalom with God, with others, and with Second, this new covenant also completely and fully deals with sin. Where the old covenant and laws were insufficient to fully deal with the power and slavery to sin, where Israel at this time would have seen Rome being the issue. Rome being the power that is enslaving them. Jesus reorients their thinking, reorients their lens, and says, Rome isn't the issue. Sin is. If I destroy Rome, another nation is going to rise up in its place and enslave you. Issue isn't Rome. I could free you from Rome. But I'm actually going to free you from something deeper. Something that enslaves you more without you even realizing it. I'm going to free you from sin. Jesus says, you will only truly be free to be the humanity that my Father has created you to be and has called you to be when his sin is conquered, not Rome. 
a dear friend of mine who I teach with, Danny uh, Malakowski. Uh, this guy loves Jesus and his word deeply. We were talking through the Passover a couple weeks ago. I teach with him, and so every now and then he'll stop in my classroom and be like, hey, man, uh, how are you doing? And so I told him I'm going to be preaching in a few weeks, and uh, he's like, cool, what are, you, what are you preaching on? And I told him the Passover, and he's like, oh. <laughs> I was like, right, yeah, I know. I thought it was going to be easy. Um, but we were talking through it, and he, he just gave me such a great perspective. So instead of uh, kind of paraphrasing it, I'm just going to read to you what he told me, what he wrote me. This is a good word. This is what he said. He says, the Passover was the retelling of the most significant part of Israel's story. It was central to their identity and formation as a people. This was retold and represented for 1,500 years and brought forward to fulfillment in Christ. When we celebrate communion, we are retelling the story of God's redemptive history in Christ which is to shape us and form us, to form our identity as a people. It is both an anchor grounding us in this story, but it also calls us forward into who we are in that story. Communion now gives us purpose and reminds us of the once and for all completed act and who it is who sits at the right hand of the Father on our behalf. It is both deeply formational and yet deeply relational. Therefore, it is sacred because it calls us into the sacredness of God's story and into, this, into that story of Christ himself. I know sometimes we get lost, especially at Missio, like maybe not especially here, but as we do this every week, sometimes we get lost in the repetitive of it. We get lost in, that's, in the liturgy of it. That's just what we do every week. But I hope you're hearing this morning, there's so much to taking the bread and the wine. It's no longer just an act of that's what we do. Um, if, if we have any sin, maybe repent before you do it. Um, if you have anger with a brother, make sure you do that before you... There's so much more. This bread and this wine should form who we are. Speak to our identity. As we take the bread and as Jesus said, this is my body, do this in remembrance of me. It should form how we live out amongst our neighbors. And as we look to the new covenant that Jesus makes through his blood, and his sacrifice should form how we live, how we work, how we parent, how we preach, how we share. It's a deeply formational and yet relational act. We are taking part in a sacrifice that Jesus made to form a new human a new representation that we get to partake in, that we are invited into, to live out amongst the world.
before I dismiss us to do communion this morning. We're going to do communion a little differently. I know oftentimes we uh, we say go with your MC or go with your family, and then and then um, we'll come back together for worship. This morning, I, I want us to go and get the bread and the juice, but all come back and, and partake of it together as a family. We're going to do something a little different. But before I dismiss us to do that, I do want us to spend a few minutes in silence and ask, what is it that I'm most being formed by? What am I most being formed by? What or who is forming how I live? What or who is forming how I spend my money? What or who is forming how I work at my job? How I rest, or if I rest at all? How I treat others? How I determine who my enemies are? How I treat my enemies? how or who or what I worship. What is forming my allegiances and my loyalties? Let's spend a few minutes and ask the Spirit, what am I most being formed by? as the Spirit continues to speak to you this morning and probably throughout the week, I encourage you to continue to pray. Ask the Spirit to reveal what am I most being. But I also want to encourage us that we're invited into a better story. A story where humanity is no longer slaves to money, no longer slaves to power or idols of this world. A story where we get to be the innkeepers. We get to show hospitality and grace and care for the hurting and the broken and the lost. A story of hope. A story of hope that finds its hope not in anything this world has to offer, but finds it in the promises that Jesus fulfilled and made new. A hope that longs for the day when the promise of a new resurrected life a new city and a new creation will come to fruition. Where God, where God dwells among his people again in his glory and illuminates the day. That is a story of hope. We're called into a story of freedom. A freedom that's not bought with the destruction of our enemies, but was already bought with the blood of the Lamb. We are free to love our enemies. We are free to live in right standing with God, with others, and with creation, 
because Jesus Christ has already redeemed us.